Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richarding Associates, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance and also a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro and have over 20 years in helping corporations and individuals in planning. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. We are here every week, um, up exclusively on Friday afternoons on MoneyMD.net, and you can also catch us on iTunes. Yeah, and Steve, we also have a podcast out there, so if you go to the website MoneyMD.net, on the right-hand side, there is a, uh, a radio button. You can click that. It'll take you to another website where all of our previous shows are located, and we have them categorized, so we make it easy. You can download it and really listen to us at any time. Anytime, anywhere, right? Just pull down podcasts on your smartphone and yep. sort us out by uh, topics and listen to your favorite topics. They'll always be right there. Um, John, I think we have an awesome show lineup for the day. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about the elections this week. I mean, this it was is, an election, wasn't there? It was a pretty amazing, yeah, pretty you know, shocking historical election here. And, um, you know, so we're going to talk a little bit about what the implications are to the stock market. Um, Certainly getting a lot of questions um, from, from our clients, and so we felt like uh, this would be a good time to talk about it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, so, yeah, I mean, so our first topic really will be what what the election means for the stock market and, um, you know, kind of what history shows about elections and stocks. And we talked a little bit about that before the election, but now we're going to talk a little bit of post-election mm-hmm. here just to kind of reinforce you know, what What really counts when it comes to the stock market. And then we're going to follow that up with uh, another topic um, about, uh, you know, how to save a lot when you only make a little. Um, a lot of people out there that are struggling, you know, to kind of make ends meet. But the good news is there are some ways you can save a lot of money if you have the right attitude and you have some things in place. So we're going to talk about what you need to have in place how you can save a lot of money, even though you don't necessarily kill it with, you know, a, a six-figure income. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of ways to do that. Great article out of Yahoo Finance. Um, but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. And, um, yeah, the fact of the week this week, John, um, no surprise, relates to the stock market. Um, believe it or not, the stock market actually predicted Trump would win the election with an 86% accuracy. Wow, that's interesting. Isn't it shocking? Yeah, no kidding. Um, if you look back at the stock market, going back to 1928, the stock market, if the stock market was down preceding the election, 86% of the time, that meant the incumbent party would lose the election. And sure enough, the market was down 4.5% previous to this election in the preceding three months. And... The incumbent party, the Democrats, lost. So you're not recommending next cycle to go through and do this. Hey, I don't know. I mean, eighty-six percent. You know, there's something to this. Nineteen out of twenty-two times goes back to 1928. It was correct, but it's not Uh, statistically significant. Obviously, 22 events. Not. It's it's not. It's a very small sample. But it is interesting, though. But it is interesting. That's a pretty strong correlation. Eighty-six percent. So hey. 
we might could have taken some some clues from this. I didn't hear this. I didn't read this till after the election was over, and sure enough, uh, it came true this time as well. And you know, in fact, the market was down nine days in a row prior to the election, and that was uh, that hadn't happened since 1980. Yes, 36 years. Isn't that amazing? Another interesting fact. Yeah, so, nine, nine nine sessions in a row. That's pretty negative. That was um, pretty negative. So uh, the market didn't react well, you know, going into this election, but. You know, that's going to lead us right up to our first topic here in a second. We'll yeah, talk we'll about just what say one, really means. one other note on this, Steve, is you'll see a lot of predictions about, you know, there's adages about sell in May and go away or January is good for small caps. That's right. You generally, you can't take that, those sayings and, and make investment advice off of it. So this is an interesting fact. And exactly. It is a pretty high percentage, but to, to make, you know, long-term decisions based on this, we, we certainly wouldn't recommend that. No, definitely not. And this is talking about what the market did. Sure, right prior to the election. This was the market predicting the election, which I think is more appropriate than, you know, a lot of people like to use like elections predicting the market or mm-hmm. some some interesting phenomena out there to predict what the stock market's going to do. Well, the market is a leading economic it indicator. Is. That's right. And so, you know, you can't predict the market. Stock market predicts other events. And you also, most people can't predict the election either. You cannot. As we saw that. That was, that was that quite was, a shock. It was quite a shock, you know, with all the polls you know, showing that, that Hillary was in the lead and, uh, you know, they turned out to be dead wrong other than just a couple polls out there. So it is pretty amazing. It just shows the unpredictability of, of everything. You know, I mean, this is a complicated world we live in. The stock market is very complicated. The economy is complicated. There are a lot of moving parts. Things change rapidly and those things are factored into the reality very quickly. Mm -hmm. There's really no way to predicted you know that's right Steve that leads us right into our, our first topic this is from CNBC a gentleman named Brian Price and you know Steve as investors you know waited with bated breath this week to find out who the 45th U.S. president was going to be uh, there was one major wirehouse out there that basically had a calming message they basically said um, it doesn't matter I'll go right. to the punchline whether Hillary won or, or Donald won, um, it did not matter. And they said they'd been telling their clients that for a year, and, and you and I preach this as well. I mean, we have. Any, anytime we have conversations or we, we have the podcast, um, you know, the traje- trajectory of the economy um, will remain the same during the next 12 to 18 months of the president's term, no matter who is elected. And, again, that's um, it's coming from uh, CNBC's correspondent and talking to this warehouse and the mar- market, you know, has been worried and trying to figure out who's going to, you know, be the president and, you know, what's going to happen. And if you, if you saw on election night, um, the futures, as the election started going Donald Trump's way, the futures went significantly negative. Huge drop. Yeah. Seven, 800 points. Yeah. It was a big, Dow futures, a big, big, big. And there's, you know, probably going to be some volatility going forward, but you know, the market will quickly get back to, to trading on what the economy and earnings are going to look like over the next six to 12 months. We saw this at Brexit. That's exactly a right. Blip and- That's exactly right. I mean, you know, what drives the stock market is earnings. It is the economy. We've said this many, many times here over the past few months leading up to the election. And, you know, Wells Fargo, an old strategist here, uh, basically said the same thing. You know, he said on a case-by-case basis, you know, that with a Trump victory, there might be some short-term downside volatility, but it would not be as severe as Brexit. And like Brexit, it would recover very quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, what drives the market long-term, we know this from history, 
it is earnings and earnings growth. You know, if earnings are growing, the market's going to go up. You know, if earnings are not growing, you know, then then that's not doesn't bode well for the market. And uh, we've seen some positive things with earnings here in the next next quarter, next year. That's so. right. Yeah, and and Steve, as you mentioned, I mean, there's always going to be noise, whether it's Brexit, you know, China, you know. Uh, terrorist attacks, um, you know, presidential elections, there's always going to be noise. And a lot of people, you know, were, were saying, hey, if Hillary wins this, that the S&P could go up a little bit short term. And if, if Donald wins this, you can see a dip and so forth. But, um, you know, what the markets had really priced in was a Hillary victory. I mean, if you saw, That's right. you know, kind of as we got closer to Election Day, as they priced in, um, they were assuming that Hillary was going to win. And when Donald started winning the night of, that's when the futures drop so significantly. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, what, and what they're pointing to here in this article is that um, um, the Fed action is going to be one of the key drivers to the economy in the next year. You know, what happens with interest rate? You know, if the Fed doesn't, doesn't change, they don't change their stance and their movements based on who wins the election. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just really doesn't factor into it. And so, you know, the Fed appears to be kind of setting the table for a rate hike by the end of the year. Um, and equity markets uh, are kind of taking that in stride because they've had a heads up well in advance of that. But, you know, interest rates do affect earnings and they affect the economy. And so, um, you know, that's a lot more significant than who's going to be – who is going to be sitting in the White House sure. in January. And uh, – but I think – Earnings in general are, are starting to look pretty positive. Yeah, that's right. And really, Steve, throughout the course of 2016, Wells Fargo has remained one of the more bullish firms on Wall Street, and um, they've defended their position on, on a lot of occasions. I mean, his 2016 and 2017 year-end year price targets are are an 7% higher than kind of where they are right now. So they've had a consistent message out there. Um, he basically says the stock market after seven years is – is finally near a, a fair value for this point in time. Um, you know, he he suggests the S and P 500, um, you know, may have some um, some some more room to move. But again, it's based on earnings. He doesn't know. No one knows. I That's mean, they're right. just forecasting it. But it, it ultimately, when you take away all the noise, it's based on on earnings. Yeah, and there were some positive things out there. I mean, they're kind of looking forward. And seeing that earnings are turning positive, they're expecting here in the fourth quarter of this year um, for earnings to to be to turn positive um, and be kind of flat for the year. We've had some negative earnings growth leading up to this quarter, um, they're, so they're thinking it's going to be fairly positive, uh, uh, barely positive for 2016. But then in 2017, they're predicting six to seven percent growth in earnings. Mm-hmm. And you know when you think about it. When you talk about valuations on the stock market, valuations are always kind of related to earnings. P.E. ratios, price divided by earnings, right? And so if earnings grow 6 or 7%, what's that going to do to the prices? That allows prices to grow 6 or 7% without any, any effect on valuation whatsoever. Right. So if prices grow 6 or 7% and you have 2% dividends, that's a 9%, potentially 9% growth in the stock market. 
just based on six seven percent growth, and that's without without valuations going up at all. Mm -hmm. Right. So Same. earnings growth really sets the table for the stock market to move higher. Yeah, and I think you know, Steve. Short term, there's always going to be noise. There's going to be blips in the market. Um, you know, the presidential candidates do impact you know earnings long term by their policies. Um, certainly, how their view is on taxes and growth. And also worldviews as well. So, I mean, you know, it, it does matter over the long term, but short term, it, it, there's minimal impact, really. And so the markets, as they are, you know, volatile moving around, you know, this week and in the next couple of weeks, you should just really ignore it, really, because it's driven by corporations earning money, um, you know, and, and that's what you should focus on. Keep focused on your plan. Uh, in your plan, you know, we have volatility built in for the most part. So exactly. um, don't uh, don't get too caught up into the politics of the stock market. And I'll finish with this thought on this subject, and that is, you know, regardless of your political persuasion and whether you agree with the policies of Donald Trump, you know, he is pro-business pro and he's pro-economic uh, growth. He's pro-corporate earnings. Um, you know, so his policies long-term should be stimulative to corporate growth mm -hmm. and corporate earnings, you know, bringing back money from overseas, the things that he's talked about like that um, will potentially open the door to, to more growth and higher earnings, which should be good for our investments. So, you know, I would, regardless of what we see in the stock market here in this short term, um, long term, I think, you know, we should see some more opportunities for better growth in the stock market. Yeah. And so I'm I'm very positive on next year. And with Congress having control controlled by the Republicans, they right. have a, a unique opportunity to make some some changes that maybe will help the growth. We'll we'll see. Right. Right. So as far as investments are concerned, I, I think we're in a good position and um you know, we're uh, we're optimistic. We'll put it that cautiously optimistic. Cautious, kind of that's like a we, good, we always like to say. Very good. Okay, great topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with um, kind of a year in tax strategy, Steve, which is important. And for those uh, uh, folks out there that are listening, um, if you're over 70 and a half and you have a, uh, an IRA, then you're required to take a, a, a distribution, also called a required minimum distribution or RMD. And uh, there is a provision in the tax code that you can actually donate that um, that that RMD to a nonprofit organization, um, so you don't have to show that as income, which can help you in a couple of, uh, of other areas. But you can, because that's been questions every year. Um, but the tax code does allow you to do that. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I think you can gift up to a hundred thousand dollars per year directly to charities. And you know, there are a couple benefits that gives you. Um, even though you can give, you know, you can take the money as income, you can donate to charity as well and get a tax deduction for it, which offsets the income. What this allows you to do, John, is this allows you to avoid that income hitting your adjusted gross income. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there are a lot of things that key off your adjusted gross income. For example, your Medicare premiums key off your adjusted gross income. The amount of Social Security that's taxed keys off your adjusted gross income. So there are some things that benefits you by giving money directly to a charity out of your IRA and not having that flow through your 1040 tax return and increasing your adjusted gross income. So if you can do that and if you're charitably inclined, I would suggest using that tool, yeah. giving the money directly and avoid having your adjusted gross income grossed up mm -hmm. by that by that uh, IRA distribution. Yeah, sometimes those distributions can be very large. They can, they can. So... 
There you go. Great question of the week. All right, and that leads up to our next topic here, and that is how to save a lot when you only make a little. Um, John, this is a great article out of Yahoo Finance, and, you know, I mean, a lot of people um, just think they don't make enough to really be able to, to save significantly, and, you know, retirement fears, they kind of loom large if your income is small, but today 38% of households say they live paycheck to paycheck. And according to a study here recently by the Consumer Federation of America and the Certified Financial Planning Board, um, about one-third of Americans worry that they will never be able to retire. Um, so for many Americans, you know, planning for retirement seems like an enormous task to, t- to tackle and something that's uh, unsurmountable. Um, and it feels like it's, it's already too late, a lot of them say. But that's not true. I mean, if you save just $15 a week, for instance, for 25 years, you would have $62,000 accumulated at an 8% rate of return. That's pretty significant, Mm -hmm. you know, $15 a week. Um, Another example, if you save $30 a week for 25 years at an 8% rate of return, that'd be be $124,000. So it doesn't take a lot of money to accumulate a lot if you do it consistently over time, you know. And people are stunned when you tell them that and you give them these type of examples. But if you get on the right track and you get it moving in the right direction with some consistent savings and consistent discipline of of putting money aside, um, even a small amount over time adds up to some big numbers. So um, we have some steps here you can follow for retirement, even if you don't make a lot to help you save a lot on a modest budget. Yeah, and the first one is to do a budget. Yeah. And, a, and a lot of people run for the hills when you start talking about budgets. Um, there was a recent survey, uh, actually back in 2012, according to, uh, to Bankrate's uh, financial security um, survey, and only 38%, Steve, um, uh, 38% of Americans don't track their spending, and I think that's significantly higher than that. I think so, too. I, I'm that's surprised kind of, that it's that low. I, I think, bet you it's like yeah, 88%. Yeah, another 40% <laughs> lie about it, unfortunately. Yeah, because, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you ask people, and, and uh, it says in this article, this person asks people all the time, and most people don't know, and that's the answer we get for the most part. You know, there are some people that do track and are diligent with it, but a lot of people do not. They're living paycheck to paycheck, and they're not planning. So you got to have a firm grasp of where your money goes to set some aside for emergencies and future goals. There's a lot of different ways to track this. We talk about this periodically. A lot of apps, um, you know, Mint.com is out there, Quicken, uh, pencil and paper. I mean, I have some folks that, that I work with that I know very well. Um, my da- daughter actually is one that she does a – a budget by hand, and uh, she's sure. pretty tech savvy, but she likes just doing it in a uh, just a typical piece of paper. So you got to do one. It's got to be grounded in reality as well. Yeah, yeah. I'd used pencil and paper for 20 years. Yeah. You know, it worked great. It works. Just had it one of those big green pads that had all the different boxes on it. It was a lab pad, actually. Yep. And uh, I just used one for every month, one page, and went through it and went through my credit card statements and you know receipts and and did that but that is the place to start start with a bank or credit card statements that you have um, and and keep the receipts that you pay for items with cash and as you look back where your dollars went over the past month you know or two assign your spending to the appropriate categories you know and make it keep it kind of simple I like to suggest having 10 or 12 different categories not making it unsurmountable too complicated 
But if you have 10 or 12 categories, go through your credit card receipts, your bank statements, and however you track it, your checkbook, and just parse it out into those categories. You know, add line item for emergencies. Um, generally, you need three to six months worth of living expenses to pay for things that happen um, and without reaching into your credit cards and going in debt. So you got to have an emergency fund, and you got to budget that in there. I like to see people add a hundred or two dollars to their emergency fund every single month because, you know, every now and then you have to hit it mm -hmm. and you have to take money out of it. So yeah, you got to right. replenish it as you go. Um, but your budget also should reflect your commitment to save for retirement. Don't be discouraged if you only have a little bit. Twenty-five dollars a week would be worth fifty-six thousand dollars in twenty years at a seven percent rate of return. So just be sure to get started with it and get the discipline going and start now. You know, the first dollar you save is the most valuable. So start with 1% or 2% or 3% of your salary. Commit to a plan of automatically escalating that every single year. And each year, increase that um, toward your retirement by 1%. And the numbers will start moving. I mean, it'll start going in your direction. You'll start seeing some very significant money built up. Yeah, that's right. So you also have to plug in fixed costs, Steve. I mean, you know, it's easier to stick to spending plans when expenses are steady. So uh, build a budget with as many fixed costs as, as possible. For for example, heating bills obviously rise when the temperature drops and AC bills climb, you know, during the summers. So you, your bank account shouldn't kind of go up and down every time the, 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 the temperature does. So for a period of time, consider enrolling your utilities into a budget plan or they, they basically take your your average cost um, over the last 12 months and they divide it by 12 so you have you know a, the same amount every single month that you can plan on that's a great idea so you don't have the wild swings uh, in your budget exactly so you can plan well ahead of time i think that's a great idea yeah i mean fees can take a big bite out of your budget as as well um, so it pays to evaluate how much you pay in interest and fees on your mortgage insurance policies, credit cards, at least once a year to kind of see if you can find a better deal somewhere else. So price those things out. Um, you know, online price comparisons at places like bankrate.com um, make the choice a lot easier. So, you know, shop around for those things. Shop around for your insurance and things periodically to make sure you're you're getting a good deal. Cell phone packages, places where you can save a little bit of money. Cutting back on things we love is harder, though. I mean, you can't live without, you know, the daily vanilla soy latte, right? <laughs> Doesn't sound real good to me. I don't think that'd be something I'd be tempted with. Well, some people apparently are. But you, you need to be creative about trimming your money where you can and saving money where you can. Um, you know, for example here, you know, college freshman uh, – here, Ben, he's 18, uh, loved his cell phone, but he swapped it for a prepaid plan that saved him $840 a year. And he made the switch after digging, you know, uh, post holes under the blazing sun for one summer. He mm -hmm. said he worked too hard for his money, and so he had to find a way to be able to save some of that. And uh, so he changed his cell phone plan. Um, but it's easier to save if you consider what today's expenditures would be work tomorrow and if you invest money um invest the money instead so for instance um this uh this gentleman ben he put his hard-earned 840 dollars into a roth ira it would grow to about ten thousand dollars by the time he's 
60 just leaving that $840 in there and letting it grow at 6% rate of return. You know, if he saved that for three more summers, he'd have about $34,000 um, thanks, to, thanks to his cheaper cell phone yeah, package. Good so, way to look at it. So, yeah, so it makes a big difference. Yeah, another thing to do here, Steve, is, is going green. And what, what we're talking about here is is giving up credit cards and using cash. And that's what 78 million Americans have done recently or over the last couple of years. I would imagine Dave Ramsey has a, a hand in that. He's certainly a, a cash believer. and. Definitely. Um, you know, you got to be ruthless about debt. You know, consumer debt is uh, is is like cancer. It'll it'll really hurt your financial situation. If you look at the um, interest that you earn when you're investing versus paying someone else, that's how you build wealth. Is is starting to pay yourself and letting that um, you know build over time. And you got to you know slash your debts. And and there's different ways to do it. We believe in something called the debt snowball, which is paying the smallest debt off first and then taking that payment and rolling it to the next one. And a couple different philosophies on that, but just trying to be really intense about getting out of debt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and be sure that when you do save money, you know, when you're trying to save on a budget here and you're trying to put money aside with limited income, um, make sure you put money away when you can, when you do experience some savings. I mean, for instance... Um, you know, they talk about looking at your store receipts here. And when you use coupons like this lady Michelle did, um, she was stunned that she had saved more than $400 from her supermarket bill last year by using coupons and enrolling in the store's loyalty program. Um, so she just put that money away every time she saved from coupons. And she'd add a little bit to it, and she built up 400 bucks. Um, you know, now the Connecticut mom takes the next step by transferring what she's saved on groceries into a dedicated savings account or into a Roth IRA. Um, so that was a good way to look at it as well. But pay yourself first. I mean, it, it bears repeating. You, if you pay yourself first, you will get um, your, your you will start building up money very significantly in a hurry. But you have to do it first because it won't happen later. In other words, you can't uh, you can't leave your savings as the last thing in your budget and expect there to be any money left over to make that a reality. So if you don't have a retirement plan at work, <clears throat> open one on your own. You know, you may need a, a, a required minimum deposit to open an IRA, but generally that's only like a thousand to three thousand dollars in a lot of accounts. Some banks and brokerages will waive that requirement. So if you start saving with just a little bit, <clears throat> for example, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, they typically waive their minimum on retirement accounts when you sign up for monthly direct deposits into a Roth IRA or, or an IRA account. Um, for example, they talk about, uh, one of them he talks about here is his son Matthew, 19, after getting a part-time job in high school a couple years ago. Uh, his dad recommended he started saving. It wasn't a ton of money, but he took that advice and he set up an automatic $100 a month debit that automatically transferred into his Roth IRA, and that adds up really quickly. That's going to turn out pretty good for him. It is. Being 19 years old. No kidding. That's right. Yeah, another great place, Steve, is employer plans. So if your employer offers access to maybe a 401k or 403b, um, great place to save. I mean, the, the your earnings, you know, your what you're making is stashed in there before it's spent, and also you get a tax break. It tax break as well, and the uh, company a lot of times will do a contribution 
called a match, and sometimes it's 3%, but they will not give you that match unless you put some money in. So That's the, right. the employer plan is another good place to save. Yeah, and I mean, let me just finish with a story with some good friends, um, kids that I sat down with here just this past week. Um, you know, 25 years old, you know, just started their first jobs here a few years ago, um, got married, and, you know, I'm so proud of them. I mean, they make, you know, modest income, you know, I mean, good income, but still modest. I mean, 40000 a piece, so about 80000 probably between the two of them, and, but yet they're stayed out of debt, and they've gotten their loans paid off already, and just after a few years of being out of school, and they're saving two thousand dollars a month. Wow, that's you know, impressive. out of eighty thousand dollars income. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> they really get it. You know, mm-hmm. they've stayed out of debt. They've avoided going out and buying the thirty or forty thousand dollar new car and having some big payment. You know, they're paying cash for their vehicles. They're living on cash, and they're 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 knocking it down with savings. And they're going to be multimillionaires yeah, when they reach retirement, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, saving $24,000 a year at that in, age. Their, in their mid-20s, wow. you know, think about how that's going to, going to build up, you know. And, I mean, their plan, like, like ours when I first got married, was to save money, to only live off one income, save a ton of money, and then, you know, put a huge down payment on a house, mm-hmm. if not paying cash for it. And, and get that thing paid off so that you can save thousands of dollars later on and have money available for kids and, you know, college and those other things that sure. hit you, you know, when you hit kind of the midlife stage. I'm sure their parents are proud. Oh, yeah. I mean, so they're doing an incredible job. And that's what you got. That's where you got to get. You got to get that mentality of, you know, we're going to live way below our means and we're going to save a ton of money. So even on a modest income, you can do that and you can. You can get way ahead. So um, I'll just finish with that encouraging story. Yeah, but that good. leads us up here to our uh, prescription of the week. It has to do with college. And uh, we meet with um, clients and folks out in the community regularly about how in the heck do you pay for college these days, Steve? It is it is extremely expensive when you go into the Georgias and the Clemsons and the South Carolinas and the Georgia Techs. It's twenty-five to thirty grand a year. That's and, right. And um, that's before any of the scholarships. So if you're – your your son or daughter has a scholarship that'll help that out, but it's still a very large number. That's just for one child. If you have multiple kids, uh, a great way to reduce the college bill is have them attend a local school. Um, if you That's think about right. the classes they take, you know they're taking basic English, math, you know world history, and so why not get that at a significant discount? You can actually graduate from a four year local college with no debt if you if you plan it. Right. Um, yeah, particularly if you're living at home. That's right, and you're living at home. So there are ways to get out of that student loan trap that you hear a lot about. The average student loan is about $30,000 when people graduate. So, you know, it's a personal choice, but, you know, don't, you know, if you cannot have student loan debt coming out, you're going to be in a much better position. Yeah, I mean, staying at home for the first couple of years at least is one of the best ways I know of to save a ton on college and stay out of debt. And you get the same degree if you transfer to mm-hmm. Carolina, Clemson, yeah. or University of Georgia. You end up with the same degree, you know, but you only spent maybe a couple years there, and you have half as much debt as you would have, you know, had you gone all four years. So great uh, prescription of the week. I like it. All right, well, that's been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. 
give us a call. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.